Welcome to Business Buzz. I'm your host, Harold Littlejohn. I'm a CPA, I'm a law school professor, I teach tax, and I'm also a great second opinion for anything you might need financial-wise. I have been in the same location for about 28 years now on Mangrove Avenue, and you can call me anytime, and I'll always help you out, and like I say, I'm a real good second opinion. Today I have a real uh, great guest coming in in a few minutes, uh, you if you're a KKX XX listener, you already know him, but uh, we're going to have some interesting conversation about uh, money, taxes, business, entertainment, all kinds of stuff. So, now I wanted to get you started with my usual visit here with interesting things that you should know, uh, whether you've heard it or not. I like to start out with some uh, local business story, and I found a really good one. I got this from the Chico ER. You've probably seen it, but I just wanted to mention how this is a very positive story. It's about the uh, young youngsters at uh, Chico Entrepreneurs that are children got together and had a uh, like a money-making entrepreneur day at the Chico Mall. So that was really cool. Uh, my son's older. I wasn't aware of this, but if he had been that age, I would have definitely encouraged involvement in this so it sounds like they're doing businesses regarding recycling things like that it's uh anyway just it's good to see uh, young people actually thinking about business and money one of the criticisms i've always had uh, and i'm not sure how it is now uh, my son graduated high school it's been six years but there still isn't enough real world financial education in the high school curriculum. It seems to me that nobody should turn 18 and get out of school and start working or go to college and not have some form of education about uh, opening bank accounts, uh, you know, what it means to apply for credit cards, uh, whether you want to get a good credit score or not, you need to learn what causes that uh, as a young person couple mistakes can set you back years. Things like that, uh, they should be taught. Uh, the schools should have a course for basic finances for young people, but now I'm not sure that they do. If they're working on that, then I'll give them credit for it, but uh, I know when I was young, which has been a while now, when I went to high school, um, you know, they didn't educate you on anything that practical, so I just thought that was uh, something. But anyway, it's great to hear that the local kids are getting together and thinking about business and then making things, uh, offering things, selling a few things. I thought that was a, a really cool, uh, cool thing that they do out there. Now, spreading our wings out a little further than the local area, I've been talking about uh, the big picture, uh, the investments you have, the money you have, uh, what's it doing? Uh, are you watching it? Is it being protected? One thing I wanted to point out was that over the last two or three weeks, the U.S. dollar, which is what all of our investments are based in, being in the United States here, the U.S. dollar has lost over 10% in the last two or three weeks of its uh, value, which basically means that whatever you had in the bank three weeks ago, Let's say it was $100,000. In the long run and the big picture, that is now worth about 90000 versus the 100 it was worth. I mean, it's, it's kind of a strange concept to think of these values. Everybody always thinks, well, I've got $100, that's $100. But think of it this way. 40 years ago, if you had $100, you could probably... Oh, buy, you could probably buy an inexpensive car at a used car lot. You could definitely take a, a family of four out for a really nice meal and pay for it with a tip under $100. And think about that now. Uh, these days, $100 buys a lot less than it used to. So the problem is the U.S. dollar, which has been the supreme currency for the last 45, 50 years could be declining. Now, the reason that I wanted to mention that is right now as we speak, there's a real-world example of 
the problems that occur when a currency goes down in value. And that real-world situation is happening right now in South America, in Venezuela. And I have an article here that's dated August 4th. It's from my favorite news feed website called zerohedge.com. I read it every day. It keeps me posted on business, political. Uh, You'll see things here before your friends hear about it on Fox News, that's for sure. And you'll be ahead of the curve if you check this website regularly like I do. But the story on the 4th, which is only last Friday, is called Venezuela Currency Disintegrates Down 16% Today. Now, I just told you that the dollar was down 10%, but I think it was over about a three-week three, three week period, probably, which translate to maybe, that translates maybe to a half a percent a day. Well, the Venezuelan currency last week was down 16% in one day. That's one-sixth of its value. I'm going to read a little bit of this just so you understand. What I'm trying to get to is that currencies... The reason some currencies are strong and other ones are weak, the reason some go up and some go down, is completely due to faith. Faith in the currency. The belief that it's got value. Because there's no intrinsic value in currency. The philosopher Voltaire once said, all paper money returns to its intrinsic value zero. So... Uh, I'm just going to read this so you can just now just get it, just start to think about what it would be like to be in Venezuela right now. Venezuela's currency, the Bolivar, is disintegrating at an incredible pace under the country's political and economic crisis that has left citizens broke, desperate, and in many cases, homicidal. Homicidal, uh, with an I, that means uh, killing people. The depreciating, the depreciation accelerated this week. After a disputed vote electing an all-powerful constituent assembly filled with allies of President Nicolas Maduro, which the opposition in dozens of countries have called illegitimate. Just two days ago, here's where the numbers come in, on August 2nd, we reported that $1 would buy 14,000 bolivars up from 11,000 the day before. The next day, the bolivar slumped nearly 15% on the black market, to 17,000 to one US dollar. Today, now these are the days before this article was written. Today, it has crashed again, tumbling 16% to 20,000 bolivars per dollar and down almost 40% in just the past three days. Uh, Now think about that. The currency that you have in your wallet and the currency that your bank money is based in the U.S. dollar has gone down 10% in the last month or so. But what if it had gone down 40% in the last three days? Well, that's what the people in Venezuela are facing. Um, one, one of the things that you have to remember is Venezuela has a huge amount of oil, but the price of oil just doesn't seem to want to rise uh, above $50 a, a barrel. That's It's been stuck in the 40s for for quite a long time. So what I want to point out is that uh, there's a lot of trouble coming to various currencies and the U.S. dollar is another currency and it just it happens to be the one that's been used the most around the world so there's demand for it which keeps the value of it up. But I know a few years ago I looked at the chart of the dollar value uh, versus other currencies and a few years ago, it was down in the 70s. Well, right now, it's down around 92 or so. But just a month ago, it was up at around 104. So that's just a thing that you need to think about. Not only do you need to preserve the number of dollars you own when you're trying to save for retirement, uh, save for a house down payment, uh, save for a new car, whatever you might be buying, not only do you have to watch the number of dollars you can save in the bank, you have to watch what currency are you saving your money in. Now, I always push the fact that you should be at least diversifying enough to have what I call money insurance 
which is uh, gold and silver, uh, a part of your money in gold and silver will give you that insurance so that if the, U- if the U.S. dollar were to depreciate 50%, uh, the purchasing power of the gold and silver you own will keep buying the same thing it did before. A silver quarter from 1964, before they took the silver out of the coins, would buy a gallon of gas back then. Well, a silver quarter right now would sell for probably about three, oh, something like three dollars and twenty-five cents. And last I checked, you can still buy a gallon of gas for that or less. So that's how you real. That's that's the point that you need to know that uh, gold and silver hold their value. They retain uh, the value as opposed to paper money, which just seems to go down and down and down. So. I'm not going to beat a dead horse. I've been talking about the, you know, paper money and dollars and all that, and I won't repeat it too many more times, but I think it's important that you realize that there is not there's just not a lot of intrinsic value in in paper money. And these days it's not even paper anymore. It's all digital. I mean, when when you look at the spending you do, uh, I believe the overall national economy might use 50% cash these days, maybe maybe 60. But when you think about it, uh, all the the whole young generation is using debit cards all the time. They don't, they do, they really don't use cash much at all. And uh, so I would say, you know, once once my generation gets too old to go shopping, I think there's probably going to be a lot less cash being used. Uh, with this latest, uh, the latest generation being so, um, so they love their debit cards, put it that way. And every time they run that through, that's one more risk that somebody's going to steal their account numbers and uh, go use their card somewhere that they weren't supposed to. Now, if you remember last week, I brought up a real interesting uh, article about a federal law that's going to supersede some state gun laws. And I just wanted to mention a a national story here that relates to that. And I'm not sure if you heard this story. It was on August 2nd, which is about last Wednesday, I believe. But I'm just going to read it. This one's from the Washington Post in Phoenix. Authorities say a customer at a Phoenix drugstore, it turns out it's a Walgreens, shot and killed a man who was attempting to rob the pharmacy Tuesday night. Phoenix police tell the Arizona Republic that a man jumped the pharmacy counter, pointed the gun at people, and demanded oxycodone from the pharmacist. That's a, that's the painkiller all the, um, all the uh, prescription drug addicts want to get a hold of. I think it's an opium-derived drug. An armed customer shot and wounded him. So it's a very short article from the Washington Post. And what the, the only point I want to make about that, whether you're for gun control, against gun control, the main point I want to make about that is here's an example where having an armed population c- might have saved a lot of lives. Because if the guy who was robbing the place, pointing the gun at people, had not been stopped by somebody like this, imagine what could have happened. I mean, theoretically, you could have had six or seven people shot by this crazy guy who was trying to steal drugs from the drugstore. So uh, I just wanted to point that out. Now, what what really shocked me was, as I'm reading this article on the online uh, Washington Post here, do you remember the old, the old um, thing that the New York Times would print right underneath their banner headline? It said, New York Times... And it would say, all the news that's fit to print. I think that was probably their little slogan for like 100 years. I don't really know. If you look at a Washington Post online article, they have a little subtitle under their banner. And uh, here's what it says. I'm, I'm not even going to comment on it. I'm just going to read it. Right under the Washington Post, it says, Democracy dies in darkness. What kind of... What kind of banner is that? I, I'm not going to give you my opinion. I'm just I'm just here to tell you about it. Don't shoot the messenger, but that is a weird thing for one of the national newspapers of record to say. But that's just that's my opinion. So 
that uh, was an interesting article because I just think it's it's really whenever I hear a story of a citizen armed saving their own life, uh, turning a burglar or a robber away from their house. Whenever I hear that, I just I really I just get a real good feeling because you know that's exactly what the whole point is. One of my favorite cartoons. And it's probably 40 years old. I think I probably saw it in National Lampoon or something. I used to read that as a kid. The uh, my, We'll get right back to that after the break. Uh, we got a special guest for you, so stay tuned. Uh, Harold Littlejohn here. We'll be right back. With home mortgage rates still near historic lows, now is a great time to buy or refinance. Michael Humes is your one-stop mortgage lender. Michael Humes and his knowledgeable staff are well-versed in a wide variety of loan types, including FHA, Fannie Mae, USDA, HomePath, and HARP. For a free evaluation of your mortgage needs, call him, 530-624-7942. That's 530-624-7942. Be sure to listen to Michael's Mortgage Market Update every Wednesday at 2.30 on Your Home Today. This is Michael Humes, Mortgage Specialist at Network Mortgage, located at 155 East 3rd Avenue. Then I'm a lost license 230273, BRE license 01250862, employed by Network Mortgage, BRE license 01840139, and a lost license 358237, equal housing opportunity. Sometimes insurance can be a confusing business. I can't stress enough the importance of having a single professional insurance agent to help make sense of all your personal and business insurance policies. You don't want to get caught without the right coverage. For all your insurance needs, trust Brad Jacobson, your local farmer's insurance agent. Call 891-7900 for a free consultation and a policy review. 891-7900 for Brad Jacobson, your local farmer's insurance agent. Back on Business Buzz, this is your host, Harold Littlejohn. I have a very special guest in the studio today. Actually, as KKXX listeners, you're very familiar with this voice. He's a local celebrity, and I'm going to introduce right now Mr. Jerry O'Lennon. Hi, wow, Jerry. Thank you so much. Not a celebrity, just a, just a, just a hardworking reporter. That's, that, that's what I am. But, but thank you so much for having yeah. me. Good to be with you. Well, anytime you see someone on television and then you see them in person, uh, no matter where it is, mm-hmm. you just always take that second glance and say, hey, I saw him on TV. Right. You know, you still get that. But um, yeah, it's once in a while, people come up and still recognize you. And of course, uh, my wife, Kelly Som, who does the morning shows over on KRCR, I'm a reporter and I anchor, fill in and do some sports for, also for KRCR. Uh, we've been here since 2005. So I, you know, we, we kind of know this area pretty well, like the back of our hand. A lot of people know us. So, um, you know, we're really embedded in the community, I think. Right, right. Yeah. That, that makes it really, really good that you're mm-hmm. also doing news for everybody. But right. you also are part of this community. So. Yeah, you know, it is. And um, it, it's, a, it's a real interesting job because, um, you know, it, it doesn't pay as much as, you know, when we talk about business. I mean, we're, 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 this is a business show. And, and the money is, 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 is good. It, it's it's a, it's probably right around above the, the 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 median range of what we have in the city of Chico, but my wife and I, when we were younger, um, we're, we're very smart financially, and I think that we we I was the kind of guy when I was in my twenties where I would you know if I made you know back in eighties I'd make maybe twenty thousand a year. I lived on fifteen and saved five. Right. If I made thirty, I lived on twenty and saved ten, and. I made fifty. I lived on thirty-five and saved fifteen, and I was just very disciplined like that. So I never really made a tremendous amount of money in this business, but I think I was just, you know, probably um, a, a, not necessarily savvy, but just a, a disciplined investor, and you get lucky on a couple of houses. So it's allowed us, my wife and I, Kelly, to to live in a smaller town, not make as much money, not have as we might might if we'd gone somewhere else, but we we have a, a more peaceful life, spend time with our children, and. And that's good. Right. No, that, yeah. that, that's a great thing. Yeah. I was kind of thinking about the broadcast and TV industry. When they do, you know, they don't pay super high wages to everybody who works there. 
that's probably be a bit of supply and demand. I mean, aren't there 10 young guys that would love to have your position right now? It, well, not as many as there used to be. Oh, okay. Not as many as there used to be. And um, because the business is changing so much, um, most people are getting things online. Um, everybody could be a reporter for the most part. And so, so I guess in a way you're right. There's it, Almost anybody can do it. But can you do it well? No, no, not that they can. It's just that there's a lot of people who would like to. Right. And so the station might say, well, you know, if someone in Jerry's position Mm -hmm. needed to make a lot more, Mm -hmm. they might have 10 younger guys who are willing to step in for half of what you make. Well, true. But, you know, so much, you know, and I think you, as you could probably guess, um, it, it's eyeballs. How many eyeballs are watching you? How many? How right. many? How many people are going to your Facebook page? How many people are looking on on your on your uh, uh, on your websites? Yeah, yeah, they're doing all of those things. How many people? How many eyeballs are there that are, are watching the ads? That there's a 15. Even when you go to a a story, a video story, and it's on maybe Facebook or on our website, there's a 30 second or so. I think it's about a 15 second commercial. Which runs beforehand, as you as you know, when you right. go to YouTube, it's the same type of same type of concept. Right. So it, it helps if you're doing good storytelling as opposed to just giving facts. I always, when I talk to young reporters, I'll say, if you want to get get good at this at this job, don't just recite facts. Anybody can can recite facts. Um, my my son, who's you know 13, my other one is 16. They could go and they could get all the facts by going to Google and find out all the facts they need. But it's presenting the facts in an interesting, um, engaging fashion you right. know, by, by deciding what's important and what's not and telling an interesting story. Right. Yeah, everybody thinks they can tell a good story. Right. I mean, I've, I've had this happen so many times where somebody comes up to you, and you probably have it to you too, Harold, where somebody comes up and says, let me tell you a story. And you're like, oh, good Lord, yeah. how long is this going to take? You know, <laughs> oh, then they, they, yeah, then they're on, then they, they say, well, you know, back when I was in 1975, well, no, it was 76, no, it was 1980, and it's like, just get on with the story. Right. You know, it was my aunt, no, no, it was my cousin, no, it was, no, it was my niece. I can't, and she just tell me the story, and, and so many people don't tell good stories. Right, right. And and I think that, so in, in, in our in my business, um, it's being able to be a good storyteller, to be interesting, and knowing what to weed out and what to include. And and you can see that if you ever if you're always paid real close attention to somebody who does it really well, and to somebody who's just new in the business, right. there is a massive Grand Canyon like gap between somebody who does it well, tells good, uh, interesting storytelling, and somebody who doesn't. That's interesting because I actually took a a course called the New York Institute of Photography for photography, mm-hmm. and the same exact thing is the main lesson of that. When you're, when you're doing your picture, your photograph, you look at what do you want to include and what do you want to exclude. Mm-hmm. And you get rid of everything you don't want mm-hmm. and you keep what you do want. So that's very similar. You, you want to make it easier for the viewer, make it easier for the reader. Just make it so that it's, it, it, it reads in a way so people want to read it. Right. And I think you know, so many times people, young reporters will think, well, I got all the facts there. The facts are there, but are you telling it in a way that that really makes you interested in it? Well, plus now I was, uh, and Jerry's been kind enough to interview me on his show, so I've been a guest and it's been really, really entertaining for me. But uh, while Jerry is planning his day, he's looking at stories he's interested in researching. Right. So not only do you have to tell it well, mm-hmm. but you're also in the business of figuring out which stories your audience is going to enjoy. One of the things, uh, one of the, I guess, maybe an advantage to being older um, is that, and experienced, is that I have a lot of latitude in what stories I'm going to cover and how I'm going to cover them. Uh, when I was younger, I didn't have that kind of latitude. Generally, I was told, okay, this is what we want. We want you to get a story on this. We want a story on that. And then I go get the get the information, and I tell the I, I give the information. It, 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 as I've gotten older, um, I'm very fortunate in that if I, there's a story I'm going to work on, you know, on tomorrow that I want to want to get started on, and, and I could pretty much pick out the story I want to do, and I'm given free reign. So that right. that is good, and, right. and I don't have really an editor unless because I generally will edit other people's work, the younger right. reporters' work. So. Um, yeah, it's nice having that. That's one of the few advantages to getting old, I guess, is <laughs> that right. you have more more leeway, more latitude to do the things you want to do. Right. Of course, if it were up to me, I'd rather be younger right. and not have the latitude. <laughs> right. Now, speaking of younger, 
Uh, you graduated from USC, is that correct? USC, 1982. And what was your degree there? It was in broadcast journalism and physical education. If I were to do it over again, if I were to live my life over again, um, I would major in business. I, I think that that or, or definitely I've made not not definitely business. Maybe minor in business. Well, yes, maybe because get, get, the broadcasting got you right. started on your career. But I could, you could get broadcasting in different ways. It's right. better to have the business knowledge or the under understanding how a bill becomes a law, for example. I right. mean, so many young reporters don't understand basic civic lessons, how things work. So sometimes they'll say things. A young reporter, I won't give any names, might say. Something about well, how does this? How does this? So, oh, so, so it goes through Congress first. The Congress makes the law, and then yeah. oh, I thought yeah, the president. I thought made the, the president law, made yeah. the law. Why, <laughs> right. why, why, why is he for? Yeah, and, and, and even even though yeah. they're still in college or graduating college, there's this basic misunderstanding of of how this works, or whether you need a, a two thirds approval, or if there's going to be a in California, if there's going to be a uh, a tax increase, it requires 55% of the vote as opposed to just 50 plus one vote. And, and a lot of young people, even reporters, who you think should know that, don't. But because they're young and they come straight out of college and they're still learning these things. So so when you're old, you have to catch those things and say, no, 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 it's not a simple majority. You know, right. if, if it's a tax measure, right. like Measure K right. with the school district, it's got to be 55% plus one. But there's one. No, way, you're, no way is a young guy going to even know all that no, and, and without so, a business or law degree or something. Right. So right. I would I would suggest if anybody wanted to get in this business, and I'm not sure I would ever recommend it at this point because I think the business is waning a little bit. Right. I, I mean, there's still going to be room for people who are really good and if you're willing to work for less. But if you want to make a lot of money and, and, and do something that, you know, I would always recommend – I tell my son, you know, and he he makes his own decision. He's getting ready for college himself. He's 16, and he's, uh, he's going to be a junior next year. We're looking at colleges. And he's, he's, he's going back between business uh, and some sort of uh, sciences or math or something. So I'm glad to, I'm glad to hear that. But um, you could know the broadcasting could come later. It really can. Right, right. That's, right. that's probably good advice. Right. Now, when you first started out, though, I think that you were in uh, – was Las Vegas your first major my, my job? First, my first major job was in Palm Springs, California, 1982 out of college, 83. I graduated in 82 from USC, and in 83 I was working at um, Palm Springs, California, which I would love to work now. I love Palm <laughs> Springs, and it developed into a bigger-sized market. But back then it was just a tiny, tiny little market, and they paid – I made eight hundred dollars a month. Wow! Back in nineteen eighty-two, even then that was just even a little then that's not it. much, <laughs> right? Yeah, even back then it wasn't much. Uh, I, I know we're going to go yeah. to a break, but I look forward to continuing that. Yeah, we'll continue that. Uh, stay with us. We'll be right back with Jerry O'Lennon. See you on the other side. Hello, I'm Joyce Meyer, and I want to personally invite you to join me on this station every Monday through Friday for enjoying everyday life. You know, life's journey is challenging for all of us. And on my program, I'm going to share with you practical truths from God's Word that are going to help you live the life that God intends for you to have. Let me encourage you that Jesus came so that you can know peace and truly enjoy your everyday life. Weekdays at 10.15 here on KKXX. What is your role in the fight against cancer? The answer could be as simple as driving your car. For many cancer patients, getting to and from treatment is one of their toughest challenges. The American Cancer Society needs volunteer drivers to help provide transportation for people in your community. Through the gift of a lift in your car, you can help patients take one more step in the road to recovery. Get in the driver's seat in the fight against cancer. To find out more, call your American Cancer Society at 1-800-227-2345 or visit cancer.org. My name is Meera Batra, and this is How I Live United. Many families have come to America for a better life. I advocate for these families with United Way. United Way empowers them to see opportunities available. We help them get involved with their kids, schools, and network within the community. My name is Meera Batra. I help families see opportunity and succeed. I don't just wear this shirt. I live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. I rescued Toast from a shelter in 2011. I love Toast because she's a lazy diva. Toast does whatever she wants, obviously. She's sleeping right now. She's so loving. She's so comforting. When I walked into the shelter, I knew right then that she was special. 
Toast, Instagram star, and shelter pet. Amazing adoption stories start in shelters. Start yours today. Visit theshelterpetproject.org to find a pet near you. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Business Buzz. This is your host, Harold Littlejohn. We're talking with Jerry O'Lennon. And he, uh, let's talk about that early career of yours, because I know you sort of went here, there, and it was, uh, to me, it's really interesting. I wanted to hear more about uh, that. Right. I, I, um, it's, it's, it's such a different world now in television news than it was uh, when I first started. So, 83, I'm in Palm Springs. I worked there for about a year. I move on to a, a bigger market in, in Bakersfield. And I'm, I'm I'm doing sports. I'm a sportscaster. Wow! My whole career, I'm, I'm covering sports. And and when you're in Bakersfield, it's high school football and high school football and high school basketball. And one day they had the a single A baseball team, the Bakersfield Dodgers back then. A and single, they're playing the, Delano, Shafter, McFarland. Well, yeah, but 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 the but the minor league team. I mean, so you know, Sandy Koufax would come in to be a, um, you know, I give, give the kids, um, you know, back, you know, in spring training and they, they'd visit the Bakersfield Dodger team. It was old Samlin ballpark. So you got a chance to see Sandy Koufax right. and interview him. And I'm like, wow, I'm 24 years old. Like, Sandy- I was a Giants fan, but I still love Sandy Koufax. Oh, I Kofax. love Sandy Koufax. He was so good. I was an Angels fan, so I, yeah. I couldn't be a Dodger fan, but it was Sandy Koufax. Wow. And I, I, I still remember doing the interview with him and and so I was there for a couple of years and, and then moved on to another job doing sports in Las Vegas. And that was most of my career. I spent about 12 years, 11, 12 years there. And uh, that was um, – I lived a very exciting life. Um, now, I, I heard through a grapevine here that uh, you actually visited Muhammad Ali's house or something. Right. Actually, that was in Bakersfield, believe it or not. In what a great story. I thought yeah. that would be Las Vegas. Actually, I, I saw him in Vegas a couple of times as well. But what a, it was such an interesting story when we were um, – there, there was a. They used to have club boxing in in Bakersfield, and there was a heavyweight uh, contender back in the '60s that never was was supposed to. Thad Spencer was his name. He was supposed to fight Muhammad Ali, but the whole Vietnam thing came up, and he never got the chance to fight Ali. But the two remained close, and Thad Spencer was trying to create boxing cards in in Bakersfield. So he was going to go to. Los Angeles to talk to Muhammad Ali, and he said, "Hey Jerry, you want to come along?" Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. So the, the house is actually a mansion, and it, it used to be Charlie Chaplin's old house. Yeah, he was like the wealthiest man in Hollywood. Right. So I'm, I didn't even realize until years later that I was in Charlie Chaplin's original house. Wow. So I go through the foyer, and Muhammad Ali's wearing this this white. He's, he's in all white pajamas, and he opens the door. And I have to tell you, I mean, obviously you're you're just like. And plus, I'm only 20. I'm a cub reporter. I'm 23, 24 years old. I was like, it's Muhammad Ali. Right. It's Muhammad right. Ali. Right. And, and And this was not – he's not too far removed from his last fight with Trevor Burbick. And so I'm, I'm sitting there, and he's he's so gracious. He is, he is everything everybody ever said. He, he spent the entire time talking to me. It, it, I was there with him for about 10 minutes, and he starts – talking and asking about myself and he brings out some pamphlets there of of, of the muslim religion and he's doing a little bit of preaching oh hang on, hang on, i show you this you know, show you right and i and i and i'll never forget i had the courage to and i'm very proud of this i said you know um i i'm a christian and maybe you ought to become a christian i actually said that to muhammad <laughs> ali i mean i was so naive i said and he was so kind he said well we believe that jesus christ was a great prophet and he's a was a great man. He was so so such a good man, right, Ali. Right. And he said it in such a kind way. And then he tapped me on the knee, and he says he took he just took the pamphlets away, and then and he continued. And then he pulled out some. He, he was known for doing magic tricks, and he pulled out these these goofy little magic tricks. Uh-huh. If you ever to look, if you ever Google Muhammad Ali magic tricks, uh-huh. he used to love to entertain his audience with magic tricks. And he gave me an I was an audience of one. And, and he spent his and, and I've heard so many stories since that time. This was 1984, but I, there were, there's a wonderful book uh, written by Thomas Hauser that I've read uh, about Muhammad Ali, how he treated everybody like they were the only person in existence. Where there were stories where young people were having trouble with drugs, and they he they came to his house, the one in Los Angeles, in in this mansion, and. He talked to them and said, "You got to stay away from this." You got, and he says, "If you ever have trouble again, you come and see me, 
Right. Anytime you want to come, you come down and see me. He was that kind of man. And, you know, his faith was not something that I believe in. But I'll tell you what, he was one of the—I've never—he never, was, he was everything everybody said about him. Wow, that's really, that's really good to, yeah. to learn about he that. He was a—he yeah. was a—, he was a um, he, he transcended sports, and and right. for me that I mean I cover I in my days in Las Vegas I covered so many celebrities and so many sports figures I, I could rattle off two hundred names and I wouldn't get them all. Right. So um, it was a very exciting life, and I'm very I, I'm very thankful that I had a chance to do that all those That's years. That's really good. What What do you think about professional football being in Las Vegas with the Raiders? Is that I didn't I never thought it would happen. Or? Well, you know, back in my day when I was in Las Vegas in the '80s. You could never take action on UNLV basketball games. Because, you know, the, because they, they just wouldn't let you. They wouldn't, too the, close. The, the Nevada State law gaming regulation said you cannot bet on any game that was— so that, that Played you, in our state? Not just in our state or— Our, our or, team. Or involved, or team. Okay. So it was very difficult because the sports book operators would say, on camera they would say, yes, we want UNLV to win. But they really didn't because if UNLV won and they were in the the final four, right. they couldn't take action on the game. Right, so they would so, lose out on they all. They would those lose games. out on all the action. Right, right. And so it was really so, and and that was I don't know if the law has changed. It very well may have. So I don't know if if the Raiders, the Las Vegas Raiders, when they begin play there, whether or not the the casinos will be allowed to take action. Right. on the Las Vegas Raiders. Right. I, I think they probably I changed guess the law. It's been changed. Yeah, that I would think mm-hmm. because the dollar volume of NFL betting is so big mm-hmm. that would be weird for them yeah. not to but yeah. yeah yeah but i mean so when you were in las vegas did you run into i've always been curious because i've never lived in nevada mm-hmm. did you run into like co-workers or anything who actually ended up having like gambling problems have you seen that in uh, las vegas I, i've seen friends friends okay yeah. friends that, that have lost everything um a woman who um was a good friend of my mother moved to las vegas and her husband left her three hundred thousand dollars. That's not you know, back in the nineteen ninety two ninety three. That's, that's pretty worth good. So, about a million now. Yeah, yeah. She went through it in about two years and lost it all. Gone. Wow. And then she starts. She's she's working in a. She was working somewhere as a as a as a waitress somewhere, and you're just like, gosh, if you just stuffed that in the bank, right? You could you could have you could have pulled out. You still could have played like some keno yeah. tickets when you know. Yeah. You could have done a little. Right. But you know, that's like any addiction, they can't control it. It uh, yeah. it takes them over. Yeah. I, that's there, sad. There, there there is a great gambling story. How much time do we have in this segment? I don't know. Oh, wanna... we got uh, at least another 3 or 4 minutes. So so th- this is th- 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 this is a joke, but it's 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 sort of true. And I am going to try to tell the joke and see if it works. I'm outside a casino and this this guy comes up to me. Nice enough guy. He says, "Mr. O'Lennon, I I I'm 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 at my wits end." My my wife is sick. She may die. She needs medication. Could you give me like $100 to buy medication so my wife could be saved? And I said, well, I'd love to help you out. But how do I know if I give you that $100? You don't take that $100 and go right into that casino and gamble it away. Gamble all that money away. And he looks at me and he says, oh, I got gambling money. In other words, that's the joke. I got gambling money, <laughs> but I don't have money for my wife's, for my wife. Oh, I got gambling money. and And that is so... True, <laughs> that you know, I, I got money for the kids so that they can go get new shoes and new clothes for school and school supplies. But nobody touches my gambling money. <laughs> I got my gambling money, and so that that, that was that was a David Letterman joke when he came into Vegas, and then everybody for the whole week and back in the eighties was like, "Oh, I got gambling money." <laughs> yeah, I, I need some medication to save. I, I need my medication to save my to save my wife. It finally came. Yeah, to it, me it, how it takes good a while. It's a I great like joke. It. Oh, I got gambling money, <laughs> and and that is the reality, particularly of this particular woman that I knew in Las Vegas. Right, and it was it was heartbreaking because she would put the gambling above the food, above her own health. Um, I would not recommend. I would. People ask, would you ever want to go back to Las Vegas? And the answer is no. Yeah, I would think once you've been away from that and in a more normal place, and 
Now, I was also going to ask, your uh, your children are 13 and 16. Right. Are those your only two? Only two. I got married late in life. I That's got, what I was going to ask. I got yeah. married at 39 and had first child at 40 and 43. And, and that was probably because being a television sportscaster in Las Vegas is the longest form of adolescence known to mankind. So I was going to say, did yeah. you have a wife down there, and how was that when no, you No, I never did. My, my first, Kelly is my first and only marriage. Oh, great. And uh, it's just that um, I had a long adolescence. I mean, it was when you're in Las Vegas and you're a TV sportscaster and— uh, I probably did. Uh, I partook in too much fun. Never right. really grew up. Right. And uh, spent my whole year doing career, career, career. And finally, God took that career away from me. A uh, new management came in. I was let go. And I moved to Nashville. And I met Kelly there. And that was the blessing. There was now, there was a reason for was it. Was she broadcasting in Nashville? She was. She was a news reporter at a television station in Nashville. And I was a sports reporter. And we were covering, she was covering the news angle of the Tennessee Titans, the Houston Oilers, moving to Tennessee. Right. This was in 96. I was covering the sports angle of it. So we became kind of... We, You're working we, together on we became, stories. You know, yeah. it was the kind of relationship that I think is best, where it's, it's, it's not based on just passion. It's based on a friendship. And Kelly and I have a longstanding friendship that started through our work and... And then we said, we both kind of looked at each other and said, you know, we both have similar goals in life. We have, we're both people of faith. We both want to have families. We both have good, we like to think we have good values. And, and so we decided to, to, almost in a conscious decision to say, let's, let's, let's make, let's create a romance out of this. And, um, it, it, it's been good in 17 years and running right now. That's a great story. Yeah. 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 Well, I got a million of them. So how long? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, so many stories, so little time. Some of them I can't share on, yeah. on, on the radio either. I'm not going to ask about yeah. all of your young years in Las Vegas. Yeah. But, uh, There's not enough, not, not enough time in the show. So what, what was the uh, thing that got you guys going from Tennessee to California? Interesting. Um, my, I, I was in moving, I, I went to Arkansas. And McKelly was in Tennessee because I wanted a, a, a full-time, as a better position in Arkansas, and it was relatively close by. My mom became sick, was given six months to live. Oh, cancer. sorry to hear that. Yeah, and she wound up living longer, but I kind of gave up my career. Decided I wanted to go take care of her, and and then we and then Kelly came out to California and loved it. And just, lo- I mean, she was she was born in Illinois, near Naperville, and um, and she worked and went to school at East Lansing, and then first job in East Lansing, worked in Nashville, and then she was very she was he's a very good broadcaster, and very good in this business, and she really knows her stuff, and is very proud of her, and in a way she really sacrificed a lot to to marry me. She decided that she'd rather have a family. She didn't want to be called what what she used to refer to as a news nun, n u n, you know, where you're. You're, you're, you give up your, a family life in return for a career. And so she chose the family. She chose me. So it's worked out good. All right. We'll be right back. Uh, stay tuned to Business Buzz. Hello, I'm Gary Crossland. Everything in the Old Testament points forward to Jesus. Everything in the epistles points backward to Jesus. That's why I encourage people to read the words of Jesus every day. This is where emotional and spiritual health come from. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Well, where do you read his commandments? But in the gospels. Now I know that it's easy to get a little confused when jumping between one gospel and the next which is why I wrote the Merged Gospels. It's where all four Gospels are literally translated from the Greek, broken down word by word, and merged back together into one beautiful chronological story with not one word of scripture removed. You can't buy it in stores. It's available only online at mergedgospels.com. It's great for new believers, for personal devotions, and for group studies. There's also an audiobook, And as always, you get to name the price. Just go to mergedgospels.com. 
Hi, this is Rick McConnell with the Disciple Tip. The most overused phrase in our society is, I don't have time. The worst thing is, we really believe it. So how do you free up your time? Well, stop believing that you just don't have enough time. In most cases, we have just chosen to do too much. Go to God and ask Him what His priorities are for your life. He will answer, and you'll be surprised at how many things are on your plate that God never wanted there in the first place. A Disciple Tip. You're locked into Live Radio, KKXX, AM. Welcome back to Business Buzz. We're talking to Jerry O'Lennon for our last segment here. And Jerry, I wanted to go a little further there when you and Kelly were both doing uh, broadcasting. You got married and you were Mm. back in Tennessee. You went to Arkansas to help your mom. Mm. But you're indicating that you guys sort of chose to do this family route and it's worked out great. Mm-hmm. But what do you think could have been for you guys career-wise? What, what kind of things yeah, would yeah. have maybe so, happened? Well I, well, I think Kelly is tremendous. And, and I think she had, oppor- she had an opportunity. to. She's very good at sports. I don't know if she's a good, good sports person. She was uh, offered a job for, by CNN. Oh wow! CNN SI back then it was a, it was a it was a branch. Right, it was Sports like Sports Illustrated, right? Hooked and, up, right. Yeah, and uh, they wanted to go into funk, so maybe it was a good idea. But she would have been very successful and probably would have found another position there anyway. So she had that opportunity, but she chose to marry me instead. Wow! And she said, "You know, I, I, I and she learned that because of a of a girlfriend of hers. Uh, her, the, her boyfriend had had had, had had proposed to her." And the girl says, "No, no, no! I, I want to go to. I mean, she was being an, being offered a job as an executive producer in St. Louis, which is one of the top twenty-five markets. So it was a big, big job. And she she passed on it, passed on the marriage. Wow. She's still unmarried. Wow. Twenty-five. She she became a, like a news nun. Wow. And uh, Kelly said, and, and so she never looks back and says what, what could have been. For myself, a few years ago, um, I was freelancing at um, KGO in San Francisco. Right. ABC, no, that's ABC News. That's, that's O&O. That's a large market. Well, it's not just a large market. It's an O&O, owned and operated. Owned and operated by Disney and ABC. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that so, you know, if, if it's an O&O. That's, their, like their, that's the headquarters You'd be working running. for ABC News. Right. And so uh, I was approached about a job because I'd been freelancing there, and they had a full-time job available. And I considered it. And this was about five, six years ago, and I was like, Kelly's happy here. The kids are happy here. And, you know, we've been, been very blessed that we have a little bit of money in the bank, so we're, we're hanging in there. And so I thought, you know, the kids were like, you know, we made friends. Dad, we love our school. Right. We made to, friends. To and take then, a kid from a Chico school situation down to San, San Francisco. Francisco would be very unfair. Yeah. And so I, I think just the, the, the knowledge in the back of our minds that if we had wanted to do that, Maybe there's more wisdom in saying, you know what, it, it's just nice to know. I mean, the fact that I did, if you ever go to YouTube, you can YouTube me, you'll see me doing some sports work on the desk at KGO. To know that I did that, and I could look back and say, I did that, I could have done that if I wanted to. Um, you know, there reaches a point, I think, in life where a, a, a parent has to, to stop living for their dreams and try to live to make dreams for their kids. And that's that's kind of where somebody had said that, and I said that stuck with me. Right. So sometimes I, I go to work and I go, "Gosh, I'm I'm, I'm struggling. I mean, I could be making a lot more. I could be doing this." And I start getting a little bit, you know, the the green envy thing comes in when I hear other people going to different stations. But then I, I look back and I go, "I got these two wonderful children. Yeah, and they're very. They seem to be well. No, not, nobody's perfect. I mean, right. but they are they're really good kids. And I think, okay, they're, they're, this is probably yeah. a good thing." Because you could also look up some of these other big guys who did go all the way to the mm-hmm. top. Then you could also read about their three or four divorces, right? And their alcoholic children, or right. you know, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And, but but and of course, I mean, it's not that's not, not to, to say, say that that's going to happen. Right. But it's not all roses just because right. you're in a big market, right? Making a lot of money. And for me, it's not. It's it's the work itself. I I like I like what I do because it it's. I feel like I'm using both sides of my brain. I'm using an artistic side, and I'm also using the analytical side by trying to get facts, trying to get numbers, trying to get information. That that takes care of the the analytical side, but then taking all of that information and and and, and pulling it together in in a in a creative way with maybe some interesting storytelling or an interesting um, an interesting quip or a line or the way that it's put together. 
it allows me to use the other side of my brain. Right. So I, I, for me, for me anyway, I like the fact that I could do both. Right. You can be creative and fact-based right. and delivering something for people's benefit. Right. In both realms. And some of the best things that I, I you know, I'm a, as a person of faith, I'm a, I'm a Christian, and and sometimes you know I. You, you don't you don't want to go preaching, but sometimes opportunity comes where right. you can spread the word of God in ways if it's very done very subtly right. and not, not blatant, not but blatant, just, yeah, right. That's... And you know, I, I remember um, there was a guy. This happens. This happens frequently. Um, uh, a guy had crashed his car and um, hit another car, and they came out of his car was destroyed. And I said, "You guy was just really obsessing." I said, "This is the luckiest day of your life." <laughs> this is a lucky. I mean, your insurance is going to go up, but you're alive. You didn't kill anybody. You, you you should get on your hands and knees and thank God that that, that, that this is the best day of your life. I'm holding my camera, and I'm not shooting. He says, "You better get on your knees, right? You know, when you get home, thank God that this is the best day of your life." Right. And he said, and and then he he stopped. He came back later, and he said, "Thank you for telling me that. I'm, I'm going to put some extra money in the plate at church. So yeah. that's what you should do. This is the best day of your life." And the, and the officer came up and said. Gosh, I wish I had the ability to tell people that. I can't say that, but right. I see this all the time where people get so upset because there's an accident, and it's like they're very fortunate. So sometimes I, you, you get perspective right. when you see things. And on, on the opposite end, it, it's people think that reporters really like, you know, if it leads, it bleeds. I can tell you that's just not true. Right. That's not, I yeah. hate it. I right. hate going to do stories where there's. I mean, right, right. sometimes like a messy accident with deaths. Oh, you, you don't want yeah. to cover that. And there's horrible. nothing as fun about it. And sometimes right. you you go to the you go to the scene. You have your camera, and you feel like you feel like you're the grim reaper. Right. And you feel like the the, the police officers or the the fire department firefighters are saying, "Oh, like what's this guy? What a what a what a this guy is? You know, how macabre can this guy be?" And no one wants to do it. I can tell you that no one right. likes to come doing these stories. Right. Right. So. When you're you've been in this uh, broadcasting industry for you know decades now, yeah. What do you see? Uh, do you see the future sort of arriving here? Do, do the stations talk about like ad revenues down and stuff? I mean, what do they talk about? See, that I, mean, I don't know. I I can't say that th- for that's sure. That's the board meets and decides. Well, all that, that, that's right? the salespeople and the general manager, right. and and that's something that we mm-hmm. don't get into. I I could say that um you know sometimes you hear things through the grapevine and right. and you'll hear that you know oh ad rates were good you know um mm-hmm. we have a, a big event and you know but generally they they keep that on the down low. Right. So I don't I don't right. have an idea of how good that kind of thing is at any of the stations. So do you, do you think it's the fact? I mean I know there's a lot of people in the newest generation now my son's 24 Mm -hmm. so he's at the i mean he's sort of you know tied to his phone and all that but i think these even younger children some of them don't even watch television anymore they're watching youtube right so i mean that's got to have an effect in the in the next like you say if you were advising a young person that was thought they wanted to do broadcasting you would have to kind of warn them you better get really good at this because it's not going to be too easy. And, you know, the, the truth of the matter is I, I, there are so many things about the, the, the changes that have happened in technology that I should know, but I don't know, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I, I've never run – I mean, I have a Twitter account, but I don't really use it. Right. I, right. I find it to be so – it just it, – it's you know, my, my vision isn't what it used to be. I can barely <laughs> right. see that. I can barely see the screen on the iPhone, and it's like I can't see this. My, my fingers are too big. I'm hitting the wrong buttons. This is just ridiculous. Right. But um, there, there are so many things happening that it yeah, just moves like so fast. You could Yeah, you could guess right now, mm-hmm. but in five years there's something even newer, mm-hmm. like – this stuff's built into a headset. Right. You don't even have to put your phone in your pocket. Right. And, you and just so, talk around the world or whatever. Right, right. And, and, and so many times, even just our iPhone, we use iPhone, iPhones shoot really nice video. A yeah. lot of them shoot really good video. We use that sometimes for broadcast. If, if something were to happen right now outside this building, right. a big story, I'd go out and I'd shoot it. Right. And I'd it send would be broadcast. It would be broadcast. Yeah. yeah, it would be on, it would be on there in a matter that of seconds. That changes everything when the equipment right. changes. Right. It's like when CDs first came out, I remember it was the early 80s, mm-hmm. and I was sort of in that process of, I didn't buy one yet, but I knew I was going to have to, mm-hmm. a CD player, because they were expensive. And I remember reading that only the record company's $25 million machines could press CDs. You know, that, that's mm-hmm. the way it was in the early 80s. We, we, we know, I, when, when I bought my, yeah, and when I bought my... Um, 
my wife got a new car. My wife is great. She she hadn't she had deserves an, it. Well, yeah, <laughs> the, the first car, the first new car she had was when she, when she was a young girl by her by her parents. I bought when, for our marriage. I bought her a, a, a Honda Civic 2000, and she she held on to that for like 17 years. Right. We finally went and bought a new car, another Honda Civic. She loves them, and she took it home, and there were no CD players in it. There's no CD player. Right. It's all Bluetooth. And yeah. All and she that, first yeah. of all, she was really upset, and 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 she, then she said, you know what? I was told that by the year 2020, like 10% of the car companies will be making CD players. They're not even used anymore. Yeah. And 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 that was another reminder to myself that things change. So now I asked Kelly, how's your how's the, the music thing going? She said, I love it. I love yeah. it. My, I have nothing in my, my glove compartment. I don't right. have any CDs laying around. Right. I, right. I just download the video. It works out. Everything is Jake. I just love it. And so it, it's just that, you know, having to change with the times. Right. And... Um, it was easy to change with the times when you're in your 20s and 30s and even your 40s. It's harder to it's hard to keep up with some of these things. There's so many things happening. Just when I learned something new, I think, oh, I've learned this. It changes again. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm in the same situation. I'm driving a car that uh, it was actually my dad's old Buick, and I'm just driving it until it kind of goes away because it's a good commuter to take back and forth to work. Right. But it doesn't have an iPod plug. It doesn't have a plug for my iPod. Yeah. So I do listen to CDs in the car still. Right, but I, it's I do an too. O3 car. <laughs> yeah, I, I still do. I mean, yeah. I remember when the CD first came out. I was like, you know, I, actually, I, I go back to remember when the when you had a cassette player and you could hit the the automated where you could hit it so it would stop it. It would yeah, wide and stop or whatever. Yeah, they it was like, it. wow, yeah. this is unbelievable. Yeah. How could yeah. this? I was right. like, this what an invention. So right. I could just skip the third and fourth songs, but you have to wait for the tape to go. But it would right. stop at that That's spot, right. you know. That's right. And you still have to wait, but. That yeah, was high tech. That was high tech. It really was. And sometimes you tell my kids that, and they're like, "You're kidding me." Yeah. I said, you're, I, re, "I said, I, I, I remember when the first uh, for Christmas we bought the the first Texas Instruments, you know, calculator." Oh yeah, I remember those with the red LEDs. Oh and... yeah, and I remember they were, they're like about one hundred fifty dollars. Yeah. I told my son this, he couldn't believe it, and that was one hundred fifty back yeah, in nineteen seventy eight. That's like a thousand bucks. Yeah, and it was yeah. like a. But, but, we, and it we, did we, like four functions and a and square And we were root. fascinated. We, we, I remember looking at this. Let's try it. Let's see. Seven times eight should be 56. Yeah. Let's see. Equals. It's, it's a miracle. You know, we're like, okay, it, it can't possibly divide. Okay. 20 divided by four. It should be five. Equals. It's a miracle. You know, it was really, it was, re- and, and I tell my sons this and they say, it makes, it makes you feel really old. Right. But it's, um. It's, it's it's an interesting story. The interesting thing change. about those on eBay right now, if you did have one in good condition, yeah, you'd get more than one fifty for it. Is that right? Those are collectible collectibles now. now. Old computer stuff is now cool to collect. Oh no! And uh, in fact, have you ever been to the Mountain View Museum of Technology down in Silicon no, Valley? No, I should do that. It's got all the old computers, and if you take like a computer nerd, like some of the guys I grew up with, uh huh. Um, they know all these machines. It's like I used to work on that one. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So only thirty years ago is now that kind of fascination mm-hmm. because things grow so fast now. Yeah. You know things change. I mean, like yeah. the typewriter was probably around for eighty years. Right. And now these things we're talking about are only around for four or five years, and they're gone. Yeah. You know, the yeah. The changes. Yeah. I it's remember so the fast. The first microwave oven was six hundred and twenty nine dollars. We got one of the first ones. It was called a radar range. It had a dial and right. And you, you were like, my, my mom was like, this thing's there. There's radars. It's going to explode. You know, there's going to shoot lasers out at you. You know, and get get away. You know, right. it, it's yeah. It's it's amazing how time and makes you wonder when you're when we're gone. You know, when we're we're twenty years from now, what are we going to be doing? What's right. going to be happening? Well, the one thing I haven't seen that I I always thought would maybe I always envisioned like on the Jetsons would be the flying cars. Yeah. But they still haven't gotten rid of tires yet. Right, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I hope uh, that, you know, that's possible. You think anything is, isn't possible. Yeah. It is possible. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so, I mean, what do you envision now? I mean, you and Kelly are just kind of going strong with your broadcasting work. Mm-hmm. You just see going on this way. I mean, uh, I think so. Um, there's some Arab parts of the country we might we would consider moving to uh, if the right position came along, and that's just a handful of positions. Of cities, but uh, unless something really, really good comes along, we're probably here for the rest of our life. We hope, you now, know. Would those maybe be larger markets you'd like? No, or, not necessarily. Or equivalent size. Equivalent size, yeah. less pressure. I don't need the pressure anymore. Right. Well, um, plus when your kids are sixteen and thirteen, you don't want to just uproot them now. Right. They'll be going away to college 
anyway. Right. Yeah. And you know, and and, and you know, sixty two is not around, not too far away. And you're probably not advised to to, to retire at sixty two, but. Um, KKXX, Paradise, K280GL, Chico, and K283AR, Chico, Yuba City, Marysville. Here's Rick Box, founder of Integrity Resource Center, with today's Integrity Moment. If you're in a tricky situation at work, resist the temptation to slander or quarrel. Take the high road, because if you live in a stable community where people aren't moving all the time, most people know most people. The person you're slandering could be someone's cousin or best friend. Quarreling with or slandering someone's character creates a toxic workplace and says more about you than them. What's the lesson? Replace the desire to quarrel, exaggerate, and spread stories with gentleness and humility. The Apostle Paul said in Titus 3.2, they must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Jesus said, if you want to be great, be humble. Humility can eliminate workplace slander and quarrels. To order Rick's new book, Unconventional Business, visit integrityresource.org. That's integrityresource.org. With SRN News, I'm Keith Peters in Washington. Steve Bannon's departure leaves the Trump administration at a crossroads. Political analyst David Anderson says one thing seems clear. New Chief of Staff John Kelly wanted Bannon gone. Kelly has gone out of his way to impose order in the White House, and by all accounts, Steve Bannon was a source of disorder in the White House. But the result on the president is unclear. Steve Bannon was really the protector of the Trump base. All but forcing the president to follow through on campaign promises. I think there are a lot more people in the administration now who want to turn the ship in a different direction. He says the question, as always, is will the president listen?